Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. I want to talk this morning about Jesus as the good shepherd and I want us to see how Jesus gives abundant life to all who believe in him. He gives abundant life to all who believe in him. Let's begin by reading the first six verses of John chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Let's pause there for a moment. In in this part of John 10, Jesus tells a very simple parable to reveal his true followers. And he's teaching what it means to live in relationship with God. That's what he's talking about. A shepherd and the sheep have a special relationship of trust, of fellowship, of intimacy. And here's what Jesus says. He says, two people enter the sheepfold. Now, the sheepfold is just simply the place where the sheep inhabit. It's the place that they're brought into. Maybe a courtyard in the middle of a home or an area where they're brought so that they can be safe at night. And he says two people, two kinds of people enter the sheepfold. One is the shepherd. He comes in through the door because he's welcome, right? The door gets open. He walks in. The sheep hear his voice. They know who it is. They recognize him and they come to him to follow him. He leads them out. He leads them to green pastures. But there's another kind of person that comes into the sheepfold. It's the thief. And the thief can always be known because he never comes in by the door. He sneaks in another way. Any other way, as a matter of fact. And so the one who gets in by other ways than the door is the thief. The shepherd enters by the door because it's open. He is welcomed and he's able to relate to his sheep you see sheep don't follow a stranger because they don't know him there's no relationship now if you if you want to understand the aim of where we're headed today that's it right there we're going to talk about who you're following with your life and why it is that you follow the one that you're following But the sheep don't follow a stranger because they don't know him. They don't have any relationship with him. They don't recognize him. And and because they don't recognize him, what do we do so typically and naturally to that which we don't know? We fear it, right? We we pull back and go, whoa, I don't know. I don't know. That's That's what the sheep do. They fear because they don't know. And so they flee because not knowing, neither do they trust. Sheep respond differently to the shepherd they know based on the relationship 
of trust. I want to begin with an application this morning to focus our mind on what we need to hear today. And it begins this way. Who are you following? Who are you following? Do you know who or what is leading you? You see, who you follow is critical because it determines where you go and it determines what happens to you. How often we don't really consider the end from the beginning, right? I mean, if you want to be honest, is this not a sign of immaturity? The youngest of children, they don't consider the outcome of their ways. They just consider what? What they want to do. They consider step number one instead of step number last where it has led them. But as we grow and mature, we learn to consider the end before we even take the first step. You see, the thief will only rob from you. No matter how exhilarating the ride may be, the end will always be the same. Jesus will tell us this in verse 10. He will steal from you. He will kill life that is in you. He will destroy you. Now that can be really hard to believe when the first step seems so exhilarating and so good, right? Man, this just seems like everything that I've wanted, everything that I felt like I needed was right there. And it can be so hard to see the end when the first step seems so promising and so rewarding. But friends, the good shepherd is the one that always leads to life that is defined by abundance. He goes on in verse 10 to say, but I have come that you might have life and have it. Some translations say more abundantly, others say to the full. In either way, the word there is this, that it is simply so overflowing that you can pour it out even to others who are around you. Not because you're a source, but because you're a conduit. And the one who is sourcing you is sourcing it in such plenty that it becomes life-giving to other people. But friends, the one you follow reveals the one you trust. You do not trust the one you keep at a safe distance. You are not trusting the one that you continue to avoid or to run from. When you don't obey Jesus, there's a reason. There's a reason. You don't believe. And so, therefore, you will not trust. And you won't trust him as long as you don't really know him. If you want to look at the strength of our trust in life, it's always directly dependent upon the depth of our knowledge, which is understanding. Not just intellect, but more experiential knowledge. Oh, I know this, right? And because of that, you'll trust it to the extent that you know. When we trust something more than the extent of our knowledge, what do we call that? Naivete, right? Or stupidity. And sometimes we get into stupidity without being naive. We just didn't think about it, right? The lack of thought, stupid. I know, we never do stupid things. I'm just saying. But a limited and decreasing knowledge of Jesus always produces a weak and, hear me, wilted faith in Jesus. 
turn this for a moment as we're applying what's about to be taught and ask yourself this. Is your faith okay until God leads you to a place where you've not yet been or you don't fully know and then you feel like it's not sufficient to take you where he wants to lead you? If that is true of your life, and friends, it's inevitably true of all of our lives in some ways and at some times. But if that is true of your life today, what I'm saying to you is this. You don't just need to try harder. You don't need to just exert your will more. Rather, you need to surrender and come into a deeper relationship with God through Jesus Christ so that wherever he leads, you may not fully understand, you may not fully agree, but you will fully follow. Why? Because the sheep hear his voice. They know he is the shepherd, and they follow him. They don't know where they're going. Why? They're sheep. What's the defining qualification of sheep? They're stupid, right? They're dumb, and they stink. But I'll get back to that in a little while. You know, now I'm not going to press that analogy too far. Sometimes pastors are guilty of that. They get a little angry at the church. They talk about, you know, the negative qualities of sheep. What we forget if we ever do that is that we're sheep long before we're ever under shepherds. <laughs> so uh, that, that's not even a funny joke for them to thank you for not laughing. When you follow the thief, you always get what he gives. Or rather, you always lose what he robs from you. When you follow Jesus, you always receive what he gives, life to the full. John says that Jesus used this figure of speech to teach them, but, but they didn't understand what he was saying. I love that. When, when the gospel writers give that insight, you can only see the disciples standing there going, what is he talking about? You know, like, like when he wanted to feed the 5,000 and they were like, man, where did he get food from? I thought he just sent us to get food. You know, it's like they're totally clued out. You know, they've got this very tunnel vision and God's trying to open their eyes to the glory of his kingdom. And, and even here, you know, he's like, sheep, we stopped shepherding because we could follow him. We stopped fishing so we could follow him. Why is he talking about sheep? And what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to unpack the greater understanding of life by giving simpler analogies to help us see that the things that we really see as big aren't that big to God. They're much more simple. And if we would just trust and follow him, God would move mountains to simple dirt hills for us. That's what God wants to do, friends. So Jesus, in his mercy and grace, explains what it means to enjoy the life that only he gives, of following him as the good shepherd. I want us to look today at three distinctions or three characteristics of what Jesus means by this life that is abundant and why these characteristics compel us to believe and to follow Jesus. So Jesus tries again. Verse 7, he says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal 
and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so we get some insight here in this first distinctive of Jesus as the good shepherd. The first thing you need to understand if you're going to understand what this life of abundance, this life to the full is all about, you need to understand Jesus's purpose for the one who enters the sheepfold. That's what he begins by teaching. And here's the first distinctive of the life Jesus gives that's abundant. Jesus gives true life that produces increasing joy, peace, and love. Jesus gives true life. That that is contrasted against the false life that the thief promises. The thief never comes in and tells you what's really going to happen, right? You've heard this before, most likely. But the drug addict never takes the first hit of drugs thinking this, I want this to completely ruin my life and take everything from me. And so here goes. That never begins that way, right? We don't start that way. We just dive into the immediate thrill of it. But what Jesus says is, I want you to know from the very beginning, the very purpose for which I give life. And that is to produce increasing joy, increasing peace, and increasing love. And here's what Jesus says. You know why he always gets into the door? Because he is the door. I love that. He is the door. That's why he always has access because he is the one through which all good shepherding comes. There is no good shepherding. There is no good leadership. There is no good purpose for your life that does not come through Jesus. As a matter of fact, the opposite of that is true. There is only bad shepherding, bad purpose, bad leadership for your life that comes when it comes in any other way other than through Jesus. That's what it means for him to be the door. This is a stark contrast between himself and all others who make claims about life. You see, Jesus created us. And he knows us. He knows one thing better than any other, that every person is searching for God. For the fulfillment of that longing. Why? Because when God wove us, when he created us, he put within us the desire that only he can fill. It tells us in Genesis that he created us in the image of God. There's not another creature on the face of this earth that is created the way humans are created. We are created for a special purpose, a relationship with God. Your dog's never going to have with God what God wants you to have with him. And neither are any of other of our domestic nor undomesticated animals or insects or any of the other levels of creation. They all demonstrate and reveal the glory of God, but none of them in the way that God created you to bring glory to him. And that's what Jesus wants you to know. Jesus is the only one who gives true life. Listen, friends, animals don't look for meaning and purpose in life. They look for one thing, right? Pet me, feed me, right? And if it's a cat, do what I tell you to do. I mean, that's, that's, that's what they do. And I mean, like, I don't know about yours, but I have cats because I had mice, 
That's the only reason I have cats. That's the only reason to have cats. Lighten up, cat lovers. It's okay. I'll pick on dogs in a minute. I've had those too. Where was I? Oh, yeah, cats. Like they control your life. Like if we don't feed them enough, they scratch our door. If we ignore them, they come and hang upside down on the screen of our window and scratch it in until we go feed them. That's why cats are cats. No creature on earth is created with the purpose of people, of human beings. God created you for a purpose. And Jesus wants you to understand the purpose for which he enters the sheepfold, that he comes into life. It's not here to inconvenience you, to nag you, to hassle you, but to give something to you that only he can give. When we believe in Jesus, we receive the life that he provides You know, he may not meet our needs. He may not satisfy our desires the way that we want him to, the way we think he should, or the way we thought he would even. But he always provides according to the purpose of his glory and his will. The thief only comes to harm us. Only. There is no good in a thief that comes into your life. None. Every time and in every way, they arrive to bring harm to us. You see, the life that we receive in Jesus is good for us just as he is good to us. That's what he wants us to know. He also wants us to understand this. There's only one door, but there are many thieves. As a matter of fact, there's one door. The number of thieves are countless. Countless. Anything And everything that does not enter by the door is a thief. Is a thief. Anything that you obtain, achieve, or accomplish in your life that is not done so for, by, and through the will and the glory of God is a thief in you. It's a thief in you. And it will do to you what thieves do to you unless it comes in through the door. That is Jesus Christ. You see, the purpose of Jesus is that he gives true life that produces increasing joy, increasing peace, and increasing love. Now, sheep here is a reference to Christ followers. And they they know who they are following. Why? Because they recognize his voice. They recognize his voice. They don't follow the one whose voice they do not know. Look at the one you're following in your life, friend. And you'll know the purpose for which they've come into your life. You'll understand the direction within which they lead your life. Are you following anyone, anything in your life that has not come in by the door, but has snuck in another way? For Jesus begins by telling us who you follow in your life determines the purpose that you are pursuing for your life. Now, following as well includes the whole of life, right? I mean, everything is consumed in this understanding of following, not just 
not just a routine or a ritual that you go through, but the whole of yourself, the practices of your life, the, the, the patterns of your life, even what you might call the, the philosophies or how it is you think about life and what you're leading to believe about these things. All of these things are included in following Jesus. Think about each of these areas for your life. Are the hours of your day, are they life-giving to you? I'm not asking if you're tired by the end of the day. I, I think every day Christians ought to get up and we ought to leave it all on the field every day. We ought to go to bed exhausted because we gave our all. But we ought to go to bed and rest. That, that's the, the biggest sin that we practice is we just never Sabbath. We never rest at the end of the day, right? We can keep the light on. We think we can keep going. The problem is there's nothing that we plug into. We're designed to unplug but do the hours of your day bring you increasing peace and joy and love? Through what you do, through who you're with, through the patterns or the practices that you engage? Or do you feel like increasingly more they're stolen from you? Like there's just never enough? Like, like the task list continues to mount while the available time continues to diminish? And the ratio of the two is growing further and further apart. Do you feel the end of the day that you have more gratitude for the Lord for what you've been able to accomplish or sometimes not accomplish? Lord, I don't feel like I was productive at all today, but I still love you more. And I know that I'm not less of a person because I was more unproductive today than other days. If I felt that way, this whole week would have been a wash. Right? I mean, there's just seasons of our life. There's days of our life. There's weeks of our life that we just have to say, God, you're going to have to take this holy mess and make something of it because I've messed it. Messed it up and missed it this week, this season, this day. Are the dollars in the bank, the, the treasure of your life, maybe not just the dollars in your bank, but whatever represents that, are they a means of increasing joy or are they a weight of compounding stress upon you? When you consider them, is there a growing contentment within you or a fueling drive? How do they affect you? Where are they entering your life? What about your marriage? What about your parenting? What about your home life? Are the relationships there, are they a source of joy and of satisfaction where you can genuinely thank the Lord and give him praise for what he's done? Or does it just seem like it's one drain after the other? You and your spouse never connect, you just constantly miss. Like you and the kids aren't even living on the same planet. And the home life just seems to be one ball of chaos and when you think about it you actually have to get away from it to give thanks to God for something else instead of running into it where is the purpose of your marriage of your parenting of your home where is it headed what about your job is it a drain or a joy? I'm not asking if it's hard. I'm not asking if it requires more than you feel like you have to give. Mine does that every day, friends. 
What I'm asking you is, does it bring fulfillment for the purpose that it serves in your life? Do you enjoy it? And if not, why not? Have you submitted it to the great shepherd? Say, Lord, I want to bring honor and glory to you through this. And whatever I do, you know what that Greek word for whatever means? Come on now. It actually means whatever. Not whatever, but whatever. Right? You, you get the difference of that? You, you know, you can bring glory to God through whatever you do. As a matter of fact, God created us in a way that we would bring glory to Him through everything that we do. Are you? Are you? The extent, hear me, the extent to which these things are true of you, either in not honoring God or in bringing honor to God, Reveal the extent to which you are seeking meaning either in these things or in the Lord through these things. Does that make sense? I hope it does. That's my aim. See, you, I've used this before. Two men can attend the same ball game, sit next to each one. One is honoring God and worshiping him. The other is worshiping his idol. Right there. Right next to each other. How does that work? Because it works here. It's a matter of who they're following. Two men, two women can do the same job. Bring equal production through it. And one it's crushing and one it's wearying but it's bringing life through them. Why? Because one submitted to the great shepherd. The other is following a thief. Jesus is the only door to life in all of life. Until you walk in Jesus, you'll keep walking out with every thief that whispers another little lie, another false promise in your ear. Friends, when abundant, when abundant doesn't describe the reality of your life, then know this, you are listening to and following the thief above the good shepherd. If you're not walking with Jesus, then you're walking with the thief. And those two never lead to the same place. So with every voice you hear throughout your day, you need to ask this. Do I recognize this voice? Or am I just listening more to what I want the promise to be? Should I follow this? Because when I identify who is speaking, I'll know their purpose for coming in. Jesus always gives life and he gives it with abundance. And friends, hear me. Everything that's not of Jesus is a thief. Is a thief. Jesus gives true life that produces increasing joy, peace, and love. Look with me at verse 11. Let's look at the next distinctive of this abundant life that he gives. He says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand is not a shepherd who does not own the sheep. See, he sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. 
He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Here's the second distinctive of this abundance that God gives through Jesus in life. Jesus always remains and he is threatened by nothing. Friends, not only do you need to know the purpose for the one that you're following, you need to know the power of the one that you're following. In other words, when you're considering the voice and identifying who it is and the purpose for which they would come to you and that you might be able to follow them, you also need to ask yourself this, what power do they bring to the table? And the power of Jesus is simple. He always remains, his presence is always there, and he's not threatened by anything. That's the one I want to be around. When Jesus, uh, what Jesus provides to us is altogether different from the thief. You see, the thief is tall on promises and even may provide a good time for a season. So it seems like it's going to work out. But when the danger, when the hardship, and when the heartache arrives, the thief is nowhere to be found. He's gone. Gone. You're left exposed and vulnerable to the enemy who's growling right there in front of you. The thief always leads you into harm's way and then leaves you exposed and vulnerable where he deceived you to follow. But Jesus will never leave you. You see, this is what Jesus says. He's already conquered life's greatest threat. There is nothing in this world that threatens Jesus, that equals Jesus. He has no reason to run from anything that threatens us. Listen to what Hebrew remi- Hebrews, the book, reminds us of for, in regards to Jesus' power against the thief's lies and deceits. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5 says this, Keep your life free from the love of money, you could also, also say the love of any other master, right? And be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Now, friends, that's a promise that doesn't just satisfy you for a step. That's a promise that satisfies you for any step you take. Jesus doesn't need to run away. He has no rival, He's already won, that there's nothing that threatens him. And and ask yourself this, can the voice I'm following remain when danger and heartache threaten? I hate to use myself as an illustration of bad shepherding, but I feel I must here. I was a shepherd at one time in my life before I became a pastor. I I was, I don't know, 12, 13 years old maybe, and I was a shepherd in the Christmas production. And all I had to do was sit under the little shelter they had made and hold this little beautiful lamb. (laughs) Just hold and pet him. And man, I'm telling you, the week leading up to the production, I was killing it. I mean, man, I, you know, at the right times. And I mean, it was just, it was, I'd carry him in and sit down and. Oh, well, the big night came, and I guess that little sheep got a little frightened by all the lights because, man, when I sat down, that sheep had some stomach issues, and he stomach-issued all over me, and all I could think was, I am done with shepherding. No more. No more. I'm finished. So when I took him out, I turned in my resignation. I was finished with shepherding. 
Jesus is not going to leave you. Anyone can act like a shepherd when the sun shines. Anybody. But the good shepherd always remains. He lays down his life to protect and to provide when danger arises, when enemies attack, when heartaches strike, when disappointment begins to set in. Have you, have you, friends, learned the power of the great shepherd of Jesus abiding and and the power of his presence in your life at all times? There's no greater reality than the power of his abiding presence at those moments that seem like they're going to crush and yet the rock that is within you will not be moved that's who the good shepherd is Jesus gives his best when life presents its worst and anyone can make you think everything is good when everything is good but Jesus makes everything good and gives peace when nothing seems to go right and when everything seems to be wrong. He gives peace when everything falls apart and he gives joy when chaos surrounds. Listen, Jesus doesn't always change what is going on around us, but he does promise that he will make it all good for us. The thief will never do that. Because when danger strikes, you'll look up to find out where he's at. And he's gone like a vapor. He just disappears. And you're exposed to be consumed by the threat. Jesus died and he rose again by his authority. And nothing threatens that authority. Jesus holds all power and authority over life and death. The hardest and the scariest things about life are the very things that he came most to deal with for us. What a beautiful, beautiful promise. Here's the second distinctive. Jesus always remains, and he's threatened by nothing. He has no rival. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from the Father. Here's the third distinctive, friends. You need to know the plan for the one you follow. You need to know the purpose. You need to know the power. Can they do what they say? And you need to know the plan. How's this going to work? And here's the way it's going to work. Jesus is going to lay down his life, and he's going to take it up again. And there isn't anything anybody or anything can do to stop it. He's already proven that. We have the Blessing of hindsight to go, yep, that's what he did. That's what he did. You see, he helps us understand more about what it means to follow him. Here's the third distinctive. Let me give that to you. Jesus leads us into intimate relationship with God. That's his plan. Listen, God's plan for your life isn't about what all he's going to produce through your life. That'll be part of it, but that's not his plan. 
Intimacy is God's plan for you, not productivity. Productivity will come. But we try to find intimacy and productivity and end up missing it. God says, you seek intimacy and I'll show you productivity. You'll bring me your basket of lunch and I'll feed a nation by it. That's what God wants to do. Following Jesus is built not on a hollow promise, but an intimate relationship. Jesus died to save people so he could lead them into an intimate relationship with the Father. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us he is reconciling. Listen, we have a broken relationship with God because of our sinful nature. We've been separated from him for all eternity, and we are damned to hell, to an eternal separation from God. But when Jesus comes, if we believe in him he reconciles us he makes what is broken new he doesn't just fix it up he replaces it with new life we become a new creation Paul says the old has gone because the new has come and this new brings us into a relationship with God the Father in intimacy with him Jesus died to save people so he could lead them into an intimate relationship with the Father just as he knows the Father. That's what he says. This relationship with God will become like my relationship with God as one. And Jesus' relationship with the Father was one of intimacy and one of unity with the Father. Look at these two aspects of Jesus' relationship with God and hence through Jesus, our relationship with God. The first one is this, that intimacy and relationship is produced by trust. We've come full circle, friends. You see, intimacy is not just a feeling. It's a deep understanding. It's a knowledge of comprehension and full immersion and experience. Intimacy is not about living deeply inside our emotions. We may feel strongly, but that doesn't fully define intimacy. Intimacy is not about living deeply inside of our thoughts. We may think deeply, but that doesn't define our intimacy with God. There are a lot of people who think deeply, and when you hear them speak, you go, Okay, I don't even know how to respond to that. Didn't make any sense. Right? It's not about one or the other, but friends, rather, it's about feeling, it's about knowing, and it is about completely trusting so that your feelings and your knowledge and even the volition of your will moves you to where when the good shepherd walks into the sheepfold and speaks, you know who he is, you know why he's there, and you get in line and you follow him out because green pastures await. That's what intimacy with God is all about. It's about trusting completely. You see, Jesus' most intimate moment with the Father occurred in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed this. Are you ready? Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus' most intimate moment with God wasn't this. It is finished. Jesus' most intimate moment with God was in the garden when he completely rent his own life of all of his self-trust, self-dependence that any had, which 
I don't think Jesus had any. He didn't demonstrate any in the scriptures while he was on earth. But there was a moment when he said, Father, if there is any other way, I've got 400 on a list that I could present to you and argue for. But if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Listen, Jesus was fully man. He knew what the pain and the suffering of death was going to be like in the most cruel form of death known to humanity. He understood what that season of suffering. He wasn't just Jesus, so he didn't feel anything. He knew he didn't desire it, but what he desired more was not to forsake it or to avoid it because he desired the will of the Father. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Friends, I'm telling you, complete trust is the most intimate moment you will ever have with God. When you just cast off self and you go, God, whatever you want to do with this life, do it now. It's yours. You have your way in me. You have your way for me. You have your way on me. I am yours. I am yours. Jesus trusted the Father completely, even when he desired, desired something differently. And he enjoyed intimacy as a result of his trust in the Father's will. Intimacy is only built on trust. Where there is no trust, there can be no intimacy. That's probably a lot of people's problems in marriage right there. It's a lot of people's problems in friendships, in their work relationships. When intimacy is absent, trust is always lacking. Always. In relationship, trust builds intimacy. It's a key of insight for us. When we know something about God, but it doesn't, it doesn't conjure up a sense of closeness to him, it's because we've held it in the realm of intellect and we don't want it to move outside of that. We've got it nicely compartmentalized. We're mastering God because we're getting this doctrine right. We can cite that reference when we want to. We can use it how we feel we need to. When we hold knowledge but withhold or deny trust in response to that knowledge, we're not building intimacy we're doing something other than. As a result, we don't experience greater intimacy with God because we've not trusted him to obey. You say, man, I know all this stuff about God. I read my Bible. I even read it every week. Maybe not every day, but every week. I, I read it regularly. I'm in church. I go to community group. I serve. I do this. I do that. I do this and I do that. But it just seems like there's no intimacy. Friends, I'm telling you, you're mastering God instead of letting God master you. Lesser intimacy causes us to experience weakening joy and weakening peace and ultimately to even get to a point where we question, could God even be able to do this? Would God even want to do this? When we trust Jesus completely, we will always experience intimacy that brings that abundant love and peace and joy. The second way is, is not only intimacy, but, but unity in relationship. And that means serving God's mission. You see, the Father is always on mission. That's what Jesus says. There are 
Sheep that are not of this fold. If you remember, John writes to a predominantly Jewish audience. And so just telling them, hey, God loves the Gentiles. That'd be like slapping them across the face. He's introducing it to them to understand that, you know what? God's going to bring people from every nation, from every tribe, and every tongue. Friends, it's hard for us to confess this, but God loves the people we hate. God loves the people we don't like. God loves the people we can't stand. And you go, why would he do that? Well, because he loves you too. But unity means walking with Jesus, not just watching him. Oh, that's so nice. Mm. No, it means walking with him by walking in obedience to his mission. And that's the reality that Jesus moves into in verse 16. He's got a mission to complete in this world. It's a mission that God has sent him on. When Jesus saves, he breaks down every dividing wall, walls of racism, walls of ethnicity, walls of gender, walls of social status. There is no wall that remains in salvation. He doesn't remove our unique glory bearing. Rather, he brings glory through that, but he destroys the exaltation that we set up among people based on these different walls that we create. God hates the isms that we create to bolster our own kingdoms in this world Jesus saves to bring people from every nation every tribe and every tongue before his throne to worship him if you don't believe me just go read Revelation they're going to be there they're going to be there when Christians live in unity with Jesus they engage his mission to serve his kingdom friends we're held as Christians by this conviction Jesus died for all therefore all have died And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Until you live your whole life to serve King Jesus, his kingdom will always feel less than the world's promises. Always, always. Christians live their whole life to serve God's kingdom mission of redeeming and reconciling people to himself through Jesus. Understand this, Christian, as I finish. Unity and intimacy are always linked. They're never separated. And intimacy and unity and relationship with Jesus means completely trusting him to obey and serve God's mission. Ask yourself this. Worship team, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and return. Are you walking in intimacy with Jesus? Are you trusting him to live as he commands and as he leads? Or are you telling him what, how, and when you want things to happen? Are you living in unity with him? Serving his kingdom mission, or are you expecting him to serve your personal agenda? Friends, Jesus doesn't make what you have, Jesus doesn't make what you want abundant. Jesus gives what is abundant new life to all who believe in him. Let's pray.